Hello and welcome. On tonight's episode, our predictions for the Premier League season, the battle of the new number 9s, Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United, what can we expect? And much more. This is the Tokitaka podcast. Good evening. Have you ever had a situation where you've been discussing a football game with your friends? on whatsapp and the discussion goes on for hundreds of messages we're just a group of friends who are taking that informal chat into the podcast environment hop along for the ride my name is swagat and i am your host for the evening on the panel today we have uh, aditya balraman who has more faith in john terry's nfts as compared to the current chelsea squad hi aditya hello how's it going so far so good let's see uh, we also have uh, Ashwin Sridhar, who enjoys TikTok so much that he decided to leave the country when it got banned. Hey, Ashwin. Hello, hello. And we also have a triple whammy of Anirudh Krishnan, who supports red, yellow and blue. And he just needs four more franchises to cover up his entire uh, Vibgyor spectrum. Hey, Anirudh. Just clarifying the blues for India, not for Chelsea. <laughs> We also have uh, Arvind Ramakrishnan, who's also fondly known as the rant man of the group. Hey, Arvind. Hey, hi. Not not as ranty as the angry rant man, but yeah, hope we see a few of those. <laughs> and finally, Deepak Sashikumar, who when he's not cursing CR7, he's cursing the people who brought him back to the club. Hey, Deepak. Hello. Uh, but you, you probably have not heard my rants about Ashley Young, so that's on a different stratosphere. Hopefully... Hopefully, I'll keep it down. Cool. So, let's get into it. So, we're just recording this right after the Community Shield. So, Anirudh, how uh, comfortable are you considering Liverpool's chances of winning the Premier League this season and adding it to the Community Shield? I mean, clearly, uh, everybody knows that whoever beats City wins the league. So, clearly, it's got to be us this time around. So, Darwin's going to take us to... Uh, the record break or record equaling league victory, um, but okay, yeah. all all th- evolutionary heights for Darwin, I guess. Yep, yep, yep. But all all, but being serious, I think uh, it's a good uh, start for us. I think beating City is always the kind of the right message that any team should start with. I really don't think it's going to be anybody apart from City and Liverpool this season. Um, I I think City have lost. Too many important role players in their team. Uh, it might give Liverpool an advantage. We've lost Mane as well, so that might be a big deal. But uh, hopefully, Darwin can pick up. We've already replaced Mane with Luis Diaz. Uh, so, I think Liverpool will be strong. If Bernardo Silva also goes, I would put Liverpool in pole position for the title. But uh, if not, I would still have City. I think the other teams are not are still going to be maybe a level below these two. Sure. Arvind, do you want to make a case for any teams from Manchester? I think the only team that counts for title challenge from Manchester is Manchester City, the blue half. The red half, I think we'll have further discussions on that, but there's nowhere close to title challenge. Anytime soon, not just this season. Sure. So, uh, like Anirudh said, Liverpool has already replaced uh, Mane uh, with Diaz and now you also got Darwin. City have also had their changes. They've let go of Sterling and they've uh, brought in Haaland. 
who is obviously not a like for like replacement but he's potentially a stronger uh, center forward title challenges to mean that it's primarily between city and liverpool any thoughts about the top four dis- uh, race which is probably going to be much more tighter yeah so, so uh, in my thoughts the number 3 spot could probably go to the most settled team among the other four in the top six and i would put my money on spurs there because they they looked quite settled in the second half and they have added quite well to the squad and conte as you know has a well oiled machinery uh other than that the battle will be for the fourth spot among three teams and it's it's quite difficult to call but i'll put my money at this point of time with with arsenal uh united still don't look ready while chelsea uh, seem to be in a bit of a spot with too many player movements in and out arvind you had your hand up Yeah, I think it's really intriguing for me to see how Spurs are going to do this season because we all know how uh, Antonio Conte has done in his previous tenures at other clubs. Generally, the evolution that his clubs take is not uh, like it doesn't stretch over the long term. He's very much a guy who delivers in the in and now, and the uh, they have had a very grueling uh, preseason. They have added, they have done the transfer activity very fast. So I think top three for me seems pretty clear. uh but it's going to be a rat race among the other teams chelsea i think have a edge for me in that fourth spot because of their legacy but uh, they will need to see how it pans out now that chelsea has been mentioned aditya coming to you as as a chelsea supporter do you agree with that or uh, you're not that confident uh yeah i agree partly with what deepak said and what partly with what arvind also just said i think um uh, there are a lot of player movements and th- there is a real risk that chelsea could drop out of the top 4 this year that said i mean if i just look at legacy and i look at competing with arsenal or spurs i think uh, i would always back chelsea in a race between those three right so yeah i am a little nervous but i'm also cautiously optimistic that we'll squeeze it to fourth I have to put my hand up like last season I was really critical of uh, Arsenal and the money that they were spending they spent I think 130 million on getting a backup well another keeper when they had a perfectly decent one in Leno they spent a lot of money getting Ben White they spent a, like I th- I I was like having a laugh at the cost of Arsenal last season I think all the signings that they had last season actually delivered I would argue, and this season they've gone out and invested more. They're clearly backing Arteta. I really like the season, the signings that they have, particularly Gab Jesus, um, uh, Fab Fabio Vieira. I've not seen too much of him, but everything that I've read about him is great. Zinchenko seems to be like a perfect squad squad member. Like you can play multiple positions. I'm actually really bullish on Arsenal. I'd have Arsenal maybe challenging for third spot this season. Uh, Spurs is definitely going to be in the top 4 as well for me so my top 4 would be Liverpool City and then Arsenal and Spurs uh with maybe unless Chelsea can get something amazing out of Raheem um I think it's going to be these four Okay we'll clip these up and we'll put this put these uh, up at the end of the season when we've all fallen flat on our face so we've got Anirudh's uh, top 4 Ashwin what about yours um top four yeah. yeah so for me i would say city liverpool i think there's no debate there okay. uh, uh, you can probably debate on the order but uh, top two is definitely going to be that uh spurs although 
part of me also thinks that it's Spurs. So you know, uh, they are they they are always uh, uh, one floor away from calamity. So you never know. But uh, from what it sounds or from what it looks right now, it seems like Spurs will probably nail down the third position. Uh, fourth, I'm actually going to go for Arsenal. I think I agree with Anirudh there. They made some really good signings. They have a decent manager as well. Um, I think they'll probably sco- uh, squeeze in that final fourth spot. Cool. Deepak, what's your take? Yeah, so, uh, retreating. So, I would say City, Liverpool, Spurs and Arsenal. In that order. Uh, Aditya, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'll also go with the order. I'll say Liverpool, City, Chelsea, Spurs. Cool. Arvind? Uh, for me, it's uh, Liverpool, City, Spurs and Chelsea. Okay. And uh, for me, I would say City, Liverpool... Spurs and Arsenal. I've been really impressed with uh, Arsenal's preseason, even though we shouldn't be reading too much into preseason. But they've just beaten Sevilla 6 0 today. So, with a Jesus hat trick. So, yeah, interesting uh, North London derby to look forward to. At the other end of the table, uh, we've uh, also got the more, in- always more interesting relegation uh, fight as well. And I want to bring in the EFL expert who knows a bit more about the teams who've just been promoted, which is Ashwin. So, Ashwin, you, everyone knows about Fulham because we keep seeing them every alternate season. Uh, we've also seen Bournemouth quite a lot. Nottingham Forest are a completely new entity for most of us. So... Do you think any of them can survive this season? So I'll start with Nottingham, right? Because they had they had a fairy tale of a of a season last last year. So obviously the way they started last season uh, wasn't the best. Uh, I think they lost maybe the first six or seven games. I may have that wrong, but uh, Chris Hutton did not have the best test of starts uh, last season. Uh, and then Steve Cooper came in, and immediately they went on a running uh, winning streak. Um, uh, they they rely heavily on the flanks, um, um, you know, especially Brandon Johnson and um, you know their win backs. You know, they, they they rely really heavily on them. But can they do it in the Premier League? I'm not sure. Um, I think for me, they are like prime relegation candidates. Um, okay. They had a great fairy tale season, that, but they're probably going down again. Um, as far as the other two teams are concerned, uh, I would say. Uh, Bournemouth probably again they are they 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 I don't think they are a Premier League outfit at the moment. Um, Fulham is probably the one that I feel that can stay. Uh, okay. They scored about 90, 90, 95, 96 goals last season. Yeah. Um, Mitrovic was on fire, has Premier League experience as well. Yeah. So I feel that that is one team that can potentially stay uh, sure. next season in sure. the Premier League. And uh, bringing in. Um... The teams that survived from last season, I think, okay, Leeds finished 17th and they just about yeah. scraped it, probably also because Burnley lost that final game. Otherwise, Leeds would have gone down. And um, I, for one, didn't feel too enthused by what Jesse Marsh was doing at the end of the season. It didn't seem like he guided the team yeah. to survival. It was more like a combination of circumstance which helped them survive. 
and they've made a fair few signings they've got uh, siniestra but he's already pulled his hamstring and marsh was also pretty critical of his uh, medical department saying that these guys um, have not taken care of the players too well i read something to that effect and which could probably link to last season when we had quite a lot of injuries and virtually the entire uh, yeah. lead squad was uh, decimated and if something like that happens again they might uh, get caught into get sucked into this again then we also have everton who haven't made many signings but have already lost richarlison so they've just got tarkovsky in so and whether frank lampard can cut it at that sort of a club is again a question mark so that's that's also a potentially uh, doubtful uh, scenario for me forest i think uh, Forest, I think, is an unknown quantity because they've made a fair few signings. So uh, we we don't know yet uh, if they click or not. If if these guys click, they could well survive. But if that doesn't happen, like like it uh, did for Fulham a couple of years back, uh, they 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 could crash and burn quite literally. Aditya, any other candidates you can see who can potentially be sucked into the relegation dogfight? Yeah, from the teams that were already in the Premier League last year, we already talked about Everton. I think another team that could slip down there is Southampton. Uh, they have not had a particularly interesting squad. They have not particularly refreshed it also well. So there is a bit of staleness there. They could get uh, caught in. Usually we see Southampton, you know, falling to one heavy defeat and they somehow manage to get to that forty-point mark. But I think uh, this could be the year they go down. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I agree hundred uh, percent. In order to in order to uh, stay in the Premier League, you need a defense which can win you those one one pointers, right? Like at forty points is what they say you need to remain in the league. Uh, I just don't feel Southampton have that. Uh, uh, they are heavy conceders usually. Uh, we really don't know who's their primary goalkeeper. I think Leveramento as a defender. Was one bright spark last year, but apart from that, uh, we don't have we don't know anyone who can actually defend in that team. Uh, Ward Prowse, I think, saved them last year quite a bit, uh, but would that happen again? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, if if I were to ask you your three picks for uh, the teams who would go down, Ashwin, who would they be? Yeah. So for me, it's uh, Forest. Uh, Bournemouth and I'm going to go with Leeds I think Fulham will survive cool that's a bold bet <laughs> for me I I would say Bournemouth definitely going down Fulham I would say will go down because they don't seem to be a happy camp with their uh, fans as well because they just raised the ticket prices to something like a hundred bucks or so which is yeah not very comfortable for a club which is yo-yoing out of the Premier League and third uh, okay yeah Leeds for me as well Let's let let's go with that. Deepak, your uh, bottom three. Yeah. So before before I say that, you mentioned Fulham raised prices, but it's West London rich people live there, so that would probably not be a problem. Uh, what we were discussing before the uh, before we started the pod was uh, a trend that we have seen quite often is the teams that have actually played beautiful uh, football have come up and struggled when they try to replicate the same. So, uh, while while the the team that comes through the playoff usually figure out how how to play 
in the Premier League with backs to the wall. So, so that that's something that uh, uh, I think the trend should continue. So, I would put my money on Bournemouth and Fulham going down, and uh, difficult to choose between Leeds and Everton. But yeah, I, I would say Everton. Okay, uh, Anirudh, any thoughts? Yeah, so I'm with you guys. I think Bournemouth is looking. I think they haven't been able to make a serious signing this season. Um, they're looking a little dangerous. I'm going to throw Brentford's name into the into the mix as well. Um, the whole second season syndrome that we all talk about. I think they had some... I think they had already tailed off towards the end of last season. Um, it's a Sheffield United all over again for me. So, I think um, uh, Brentford is definitely up there. Uh, for the third spot, yeah, all the names you mentioned, right? So, Leeds, Southampton, Everton... These are the ones I've been thinking of. Um, just looking at the... I'm, I'm going to just like give Jesse Marsh some credit and maybe he's got some mouse about him and maybe he can take leads uh, over the line. Everton and Southampton. I think Southampton now, for a few seasons, they've been threatening to be the team that kind of really makes it to the top of the season and it's never really worked out. Uh, I've been on the Southampton bandwagon for some time. I think they're in a bit of danger. Everton, honestly, they're now trying to save money after like three, four seasons of really, really uh, extravagant purchases. Um, they've they've started signing the free transfers, the Burnley guys, and things like that. I'm I'm honestly, if I had to have a gun to my head, I would pick Everton right now. It's as a Liverpool fan, I know that sounds weird, but um, I would honestly pick Everton because I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm not so so sure they've improved and they finished what I think. 17th or 16th last season. So, yeah, I'm not so sure about it. And just to clarify, Arvind doesn't have a gun to Anirudh's head. This is just his Liverpool bias speaking. As a, as a Liverpool fan, as a Liverpool fan, it makes complete sense, Anirudh. So, uh, I'm going to change my prediction to Manchester City being relegated this season. <laughs> Arvind, what are your uh, bottom three picks? I think Everton are in real trouble. Of course, they will not finish probably bottom two, but definitely the 18th uh, position, Everton and Leeds would be uh, in the mix for that. I think Bournemouth uh, is in trouble for me and Fulham, like as uh, as BSK said, right? The teams who come out with that style of football generally don't cut it in the Premier League, so we'll have to wait and watch. So, I think these four teams, three of them would be my picks sure. for bottom two. Okay, and uh, finally, Aditya, your uh, your three picks for the bottom three. Uh, I will go with Bournemouth. I will go with Forest, and I think Fulham will survive. So I agree with Ashwin there. And from the teams that are already in the Premier League from last season, I'm gonna go Leeds. They've lost Rafinha. They lose. They concede a ton of goals every year. I don't think they're going to score enough to stay up. You never know. Barcelona might not be able to register Rafinha and he might come back to lo- come back to Leeds on loan. You never know. Okay, cool. Uh, any other teams that you guys have found interesting this season? Like uh, something that I found pretty interesting was that Newcastle have continued to have that solid chunk of money, but they've been spending it not very glamorously. I mean, bringing in people like Nick Pope and Sven Botman. I mean, I'm... Now that I've said it, they'll probably go and uh, get Neymar in. But 
but uh, yeah that's that seemed a very different uh, team setup to me as compared to the other big money clubs around the world yeah, i think newcastle is definitely a, a club outside the top 6 7 teams to look out for because of the way you said right it's not been uh, the general behavior you expect from a new ownership they have been pretty they have learned from the mistakes of others so to say for me as well newcastle would be the club to look out for this season from a top top half perspective yeah uh, I, i think another team to potentially watch out for is aston villa um but uh, i think with steven gerard there is a general sense of purpose about the team uh, there as well they made some really shrewd signings la- last year and even at the start of the transfer window this year so uh, diego carlos i think is a really good signing uh, Kamara as the defensive midfielder is also a great signing, and let's not for, forget uh, Philippe Coutinho was kind of a half signing because he was signed only last January, right? Um, I think uh, Leon Bailey uh, hasn't yet shown shown up, uh, but maybe the second the second season would do um, uh, something good for him. So yeah, I, I think it's good to watch uh, Aston Villa as well uh, this year. Anrit, did you did you? Did you have a team that you wanted to talk about as well? Yeah, so it's like I think it's a bit against what some of you guys were saying about the relegation battle, but I'm intrigued by Forest. Um, I think they've got when Liverpool played them last season. I think they were really, they were they were actually really good. They've got some things about them that could crash and burn, like the whole jailings and like. that that's a disaster waiting to happen i can see it but i'm really really intrigued by the whole forest story they've got awani who's a who's a really proven goal scorer he's got 15 goals in the bundesliga it's not something that happens very often um he was um somebody that i was looking forward to seeing uh in the league they have 10 new signings they've let go of 15 players is <laughs> a lot of churn there so yeah that's the whole thing is a little intriguing i won't say that i'm confident that they would do well but it could be something that crashes and burns but i'd enjoy watching it all all the while the the one reason i i feel nottingham forest would struggle is james garner is no longer playing for them back at manchester united the 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 new pirlo is no longer there for them Jokes apart, a left field, cho- left field choice for the team that I'll be looking forward to, and that's Burnley. If you saw the stats from uh, yesterday in the championship, uh, they scored, they played five hundred passes in ninety minutes. Very, very different from the Burnley that we are uh, we we know of. So we'll be looking at their stats every week. Yeah, but um, by Burnley you mean Everton, right? Because that's what Everton are becoming right now. Like. They've they've got Tarkowski. They've got now they've been McNeil. I think I think Everton are just signing all the Burnley players and they're going to play Route One football under Super Frankie Lampard. So let's see how that goes. Yeah, and wasn't that because uh, Burnley were filing a case against Everton about transfer policy and now they're signing everyone from them? Anyway, so moving on, uh, I think uh, Deepak, you have a quiz question for us and all our valued listeners. Hi. parents of all of us and spouses right so the quiz question is how many uh, players have won the premier league golden boot in their first season in the english premier league okay right and this is starting from the the 1992 the first season of the premier league 
so uh, think about it uh, later in the show we'll have a discussion about this and i'll give out the answers no, i just had a query like so when you say the first season is there like a qualifying criteria or is a half season counted a first season or is in half season if they got golden boot then <laughs> more power to them <laughs> <laughs> Technically speaking, half season or a qualifying criteria. If there are, you can talk about ones with qualifying criteria. So there are two with qualifying criteria. When you say qualifying criteria, it's like in, like somebody joined in Jan, and then, then still won. No, no, did not win. The next season, won the next season. So, okay. that, but that technically doesn't count. But that will be that's an honorable mention. Okay, got it. So that leads uh, nicely onto my next topic, which is uh, the battle of the new number nine. So we've got uh, some big signings. I mean, quite literally big signings like Haaland and Nunes, who we've both just seen in action today. Then Jesus has moved clubs and gotten the number nine jersey. Richarlison has gone to a new club. Uh, we also have. Uh, Chelsea, who's gone completely the the other route, and then we also have uh, future Ballon d'Or winner uh, Anthony Martial. Any thoughts? Anyone wants to uh, bring in on these guys? Yeah, I think uh, like the main interesting thing that I see is uh, you know for Man City and Liverpool. Uh, I think for a uh, you know quite a, a long period of time they operated with these false nine construct with Firmino and you know with Jesus respectively, but. uh now they are going in a different direction with proper you know goal scoring forwards i i am really intrigued to see how it works out for you know city and liverpool especially because they have become so used to playing with these uh you know false nines it would be really interesting to see how that goes yeah so i i yeah so um particularly for liverpool right so darwin is so different from anything that we've had in the last 5 6 years i think i'm i'm super excited as a fan i mean i've seen all the all the rival fans trolling him online honestly it brings a smile to my face uh, he genuinely excites me in the sense that when we had bobby and when we had maybe mane playing there for half a season the the position was it's not the kind of robbie fowler it's not the you know it's not the michael owen or the fernando torres that we've had in the past but right now i mean the strikers that the two genres of strikers have been space takers and space makers i think like bobby firmino was a space taker like he drops into that space between the midfield and the forward line uh, darwin is very much a space maker right so he he runs down the line he makes the diagonal runs he creates the space in midfield i think it makes a lot of difference uh for the likes of Javi Elliott Fabio Carvalho that we've got on the on the team and Sala over the last one and a half seasons has become a really creative force so i think Darwin's direct running and his instinct of being a goal scorer is going to make a huge difference for the way we play so i'm super excited to see uh, Darwin play Haaland obviously um, great player he's going to tap in at least 700 goals this season so yeah will be unfortunate but i'm ready but, for that uh, rather just a question so uh, when you see man city uh, they have had their playmaking force is a lot of it in, is through midfield which is still intact whereas for liverpool i think a lot of that used to come from a false nine dropping in and then through the wings right uh, through the four people on the wings like the wing backs and wingers how do you think that is going to change because liverpool don't really have go through a number 
a kind of a thing through center right so do you think that is going to make any difference no so i don't think bobby was the playmaker of the primary playmaker of our team i think he he did a lot of the hard work for the team and set the tempo and set the the pressing rhythm but the playmaking always used to happen from trent robo and mo so last season i think mo took the like mo sala kind of dominated the season in terms of creativity but all the chance creation used to come from the right wing so i don't think it's going to change that much but i feel like now that we've got fabio carvalho harvey elliot uh, possibly nabi keita also playing the right midfield position i think the space that darwin unis is going to create is going to leave a lot of freedom for that rcm the right midfielder so that way it's going to be very different from the previous season that we've had as well Okay, cool, interesting. Aditya, we've as Chelsea fans have gotten used to the strikers not doing what they're supposed to do. We have this like voodoo. I mean, probably only broken by someone like Diego Costa. Your thoughts on um, these new number nines, or probably the lack of one at Chelsea? Yeah, I think as far as Chelsea is concerned, I think we just start need to stop giving out the number nine jersey. I think that will solve the problem. <laughs> like the last guy who did well in that role, Diego Costa, didn't wear number nine. <laughs> so I think that's is an easy solution to the problem there. But that aside, coming back to the discussion around these number nines, I do want to make a case for uh, Gabriel Jesus. I fancied him quite a lot, and uh, I re- I would have loved to have him at Chelsea as if. made it clear to you guys a number of times uh, i'm that's not to say that he's going to outscore nunes or haland or going to score 35 goals and take us to the title but i think he'll be a real force there and he'll certainly be a more central character than he would have ever been under pep right so i do want to give a shout out there i do expect that to be uh, pretty successful for arsenal though it hurts me to say that I I just want to vociferously deny these allegations against Chelsea number nines. I'm a huge Khalid Boularous fan. Like honestly, best number nine I've ever seen in the history of the Premier League. I have no idea what Abu is talking about. Yeah, talking about uh, uh, number nine. It's not it's not a new number nine. Uh, Anthony Martial is seems like he is going to start in that position. Couple of seasons back, he did really well. He scored twenty plus goals. Uh, for united but what we have seen with marshall is when there is somebody challenging him for the role uh, then he's somehow instead of trying to uh, up his standards he seems to build them that is a bit of a worry because united are definitely short uh, in that position so even if they sign somebody uh, to to uh, sit on the bench not sure how how marshall is uh, is going to react to that but at least from what we have seen in uh the warm up games he seems to be linking up quite well pressing uh doing a very good coordinated press with the other attackers and has played quite well so looking forward uh and uh in the, in the list that we mentioned uh, we seem to have missed out one name um uh, and considering the tweets that we saw yesterday the king is supposed to play on sunday uh so probably we can quickly touch upon uh the king and what what to expect in the coming days uh before the trans- transfer window closes yeah uh speaking of marshall right uh I, we've been there we have seen that uh he is one of the most inconsistent strikers out there as a united fan i love to uh get him to the zone that uh, ole got him in during the 
lockdown season. I don't even know which season that is. Uh, but one more number nine striker that we we should potentially look out for is uh, Alexander Mitrovic. Uh, I think he scored around forty plus goals in the in the championship uh, last uh, last season. Uh, even though I don't, I even though I don't feel that Fulham will have the bestest of seasons, but I think Mitrovic is someone we should definitely be looking at. I, th- I think what uh, most of our audience doesn't know at this point of time is that we have a draft fantasy league going, which has been going on for some time. And Aditya has fond memories of take- taking Mitrovic. Or uh, was that uh, Arvind? Was that you? Who, who was that who took Mitrovic exactly for this reason from three years ago? It's, it's, it's I think, two, three years that this has happened now. Oh, two seasons um, back. <laughs> Fulham is doomed. I should have put Fulham in my relegation candidates just for the fact that Ab took Mitrovic in his draft. Like it's, it's, a, it's a done deal. Fulham are going down. Yeah. And uh, talking, talking of the draft picks... Uh, um, who took Skamaka? I, I, I've heard interesting things about this guy. He's like Woot Weghorst version 2.0 because 1.0 didn't get enough time to play as well. Any, any thoughts on this guy? Uh, he, West Ham have, played, have paid a significant uh, sum for him. Uh, what do you think? Is he going to play in a two-striker system or does he become the number one striker now? So, so from what I've heard, he is... Um, he is a he's six foot four, so everybody thinks of him as being the you know the Peter Crouch equivalent kind of striker. But he's got he's got good feet. He he has a good touch. He can play with another striker as well. I think West Ham are going to definitely go down the two striker route with Antonio kind of supplementing him. Um, I think they're going to have a good partnership, but I also think that West Ham are planning for Antonio eventually having the muscle injuries that he he has had through his career. I think last season was a really lucky season for West Ham. I think they're planning for that with a, a short preseason, a World Cup year coming up. I think they're definitely planning ahead and thinking that Antonio is not going to be able to deliver the minutes that he did last season. Totally disagree with that point. Uh, considering David Moises' which history with strikers, he has figured out how to play football only with Tim Cahill, Marianne Fellaini, and and, uh, and Mikhail Antonio. So, uh, I, I, I believe this is going to go uh, like the Sebastian Haller route, where he's not going to play at all and going to he'll get shipped out in a year's time. Um, has history not taught us anything about Serie A strikers? Like Lukaku, Shevchenko, we don't have to really go really far behind to, to know oh, that, you hold know. On. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, Lukaku cannot be counted as a Serie A striker. He's I mean, like he played like that's, that's, He played for United. He was a record signing at United. He spent yeah, one like, year in Italy. You can't make him a and back back Serie back to Italy. Like, back to Italy, right? So I mean, I don't know. I I I I think the jury is still out on this guy. So let's 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 see how he how he plays, and then we can. Just a shout out. Just a shout out to to my Serie A brethren. What about Graziano Pelle? I think he was he was pretty good when he was at uh, Southampton. Yeah, you'll probably claim this is all because of Mane being next to him. Anyway, uh, as we speak right now, Spurs are trailing Roma. Uh, any thoughts on what Richarlison can bring into the picture? Particularly because they usually play with a front three. They have 
Cain there, they have Son there, and they also got Kulusevski last season, and now they've added Richarlison for 60 mil. So they've they've got a significant outlay for for these players, or uh, a significant uh, amount of uh, money that's gone in for these players. So any thoughts, Arvind? When Ancelotti uh, was working with Richarlison, he told about him that you know he he can work in a two-striker system. Uh, but what we have seen is he's progressed a bit since then. He's become better aerially, and he's be- he's become a bit better at hold-up play. But I don't think he's still an out-and-out nine. So his his main uh, like if you look at his stats, he's mainly good from the left wing side, and operating in a two-striker system. So uh, like now what it seems like is he would be competing with Kus- uh, like Kulusevski mainly for the right wing slot, and wherever Kane needs to be rotated, he would probably you know come into the striker positions. So I don't think you know Richarlison is in the same conversation as Haaland and Nunes from an out and out nine perspective that way. Interesting, interesting times ahead. Uh, some sort of uh, number nine rivalry probably uh, emerging. Let's see how that goes. Um, time to move on to our next topic, which is uh, what Eric Ten Hag can bring to Manchester United and what Manchester United are going to look like. I know I have. Uh, 50% or probably even more if I take myself out of the equation quorum of Manchester United supporters with d- slightly differing views I would say to each other so who, who wants to take first pick uh, Arvind why don't you uh, give us uh, your thoughts yeah so when talking of Eric Ten Hag there are two things right one is what does Eric Ten Hag bring to the table and second is what are, what is Manchester United going to take away from Eric Ten Hag so I think these are the two things which, like, as a fan, I am thinking about. What does he bring to the table? It's very clear to see during preseason and during his prior career what kind of tax, uh, you know, tactics he likes to operate with. We are already seeing some signs of, you know, being in a very high pressing shape. Uh, he started out with a proper double pivot against Liverpool, and then it's been Fred operating as a sole number six, and then there's been a proper number eight kind of system, right? Uh, and uh, the line, the the uh, the uh, like the defensive line is much higher. David De Gea is stepping out of his box and trying to make interceptions and stuff. So we see what kind of things you know he is trying to bring to the table. But on the other side, what kind of problems does United as a club currently pose for him? Uh, coming back to the Martial topic, Martial started out well on this preseason. He operates the best when he knows that he is the number one guy. We don't know how the king on, uh, you know, the king who is going to make his comeback on Sunday, how that is going to fit in with Eric Ten Hag. We have had a lot of discussions on how Cristiano Ronaldo is not necessarily the solution or the champion that you know Man United fans have thought about him. In that way, I would say kind of proven right on whatever fears I had about him starting out last season. So I'm really, you know, worried about seeing or worried about or skeptical about you know how Ronaldo is going to bring. Or work with Eric Ten Hag. How is going to bring his pressing? How is going to fit into that ethos? So Deepak, uh, we've already talked about how thrilled you were when Ronaldo came back to the club. I would assume that you agree with uh, Arvind's points, what he said, uh, and your sentiments are probably on the same lines. Yeah, uh, yeah, more or less on the same lines. Uh, we have, we have in the preseason we have seen how United strikers uh, have been playing together quite well. Uh, very coordinated with the press. Uh, if Ronaldo says, how how does that change, and how does the entire uh, uh, system that Eric Tenag wants to play change? That is a huge question, and that's a bit of a worry. Uh, 
other the pos- other positives uh, uh, aside from Ronaldo that we have seen is uh, how Sancho has been playing. United brought him back to England with a lot of fanfare, and uh, his first season looked quite poor. Uh, but he seems to be playing quite well in a in a right-sided uh, playmaker kind of role. Uh, the other interesting point was the role Bruno Fernandez has been taking the uh, in the seasons under Ole. The entire United attack used to go through him, and he seems to be playing more in a number eight role uh, rather than the number ten, where the entire attack and the volume of shots goes through him. And uh, quite happy to see how Maguire has been playing. Uh, he has taken a lot of sack. His form last year was not great. Uh, Eric Tanak seems to have full confidence, uh, although interestingly, has changed his uh, uh, his playing style from advancing with the ball to the right-sided centre-back uh, uh, who is passing out more. So, interested to see how things go. Uh, the the bigger problem with United is that apart from the first 11 or 12 players who have been playing well, the there are hardly any uh, players who can come in. And as we saw in the warm-up game against uh, Atletico Madrid today, that United had to uh, uh, play Elanga on the right because Sancho was unwell. And, and it was a... It, it's it, it looked very poor uh, down the entire right flank. So, similarly, uh, if the uh, Frankie de Jong doesn't join, we do not have a plan B. So, these are uh, big worries for the team. I I think uh, okay. So so we have one view of um, what Ronaldo and his situation is bringing to the club, but we, we have other options available as well. Ashwin, what, what are your thoughts? I think you are not in the same camp as these guys. No, I, I am. I am. I, I definitely am. What we do agree on as a United fan group is that was not the right time to sign him. What we don't agree on is what he brought to the club, right? And uh, what I also don't like is some United fans slating our legends. So I think that's where the bone of contention really is. About Cristiano, I, he's left us to uh, you know completely out to dry with the way that he announced his intention to leave two months into uh, you know after the season ended. And legend or not, I think United fans need to call that out. It's not. It's not been something which we wanted to have. Uh, 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 I will I'll park the Cristiano Ronaldo situation for now. So, in terms of in terms of Eric Ten Hag, uh, the phrase I would like to use is cautious optimism. Uh, we've been here before. Uh, we've had really a really good preseason with with our previous managers. Um, Louis Van Gaal comes into mind. Uh, we had some really. We played really well under him and then it was all about the process and where we are going with that process. Jose Mourinho had a good preseason with us as well and then we know what happened, right? Uh, with Eric Ten Hag, uh, I can see that there's a positive momentum. Um, I can see that the team is actually playing, pressing, counter-pressing and trying to play the way he wants us to. What I'm still not sure is um, who's going to play that Fred is currently playing. I don't think Fred is the right man to play in that position for us right now. Uh, will we be signing Frankie de Jong? It doesn't look likely. Uh, do we have alternatives for Frankie de Jong? It doesn't look likely. Um, so as, D- uh, as Deepak mentioned as well, the other position that we should potentially 
be watchful about is the right flank. Um, Sancho, I think, would probably make that position his own uh, if 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 he let him to uh, make that position his own. But if Sancho is unwell or if he's injured, there's absolutely no one to replace him. Uh, Rashford again, I had high hopes on him, but he he's still not stepping up to the levels that I feel that he can step up. Um, so cautious optimists optimism it is for the next season. Okay. My, my thoughts are that uh, whenever United have made a managerial change in the past, it seems to have gone to the other extreme of the previous guy. So, uh, when you have Jose who's like, oh, this guy's dividing the dressing room, bring in a legend and calm everything down. And when you, re- when you say, okay, Ole probably doesn't cut the mustard when it comes to technical stuff, bring in uh, Ralph Rangnick and uh, his, uh, Mary- his band of merry men who probably even they don't know what they did there. So, now they've uh, brought in a guy who's like a proper coach, Coach, uh, coach, coach. If you if you if you if you know what I mean. Coach but uh, it it seems to go into a lot of overkill with the social media. It seems like you see he's tra- he's taking training sessions himself. Like uh, probably half of uh, his peers in the Premier League are doing that uh, as, as well. I, I I can understand it's it's the club with probably the largest social media presence and uh, impressions etc. But yeah, just just slightly befuddling. Just looking, you know, just looking at your, uh, I, I think there's a lot of the Chelsea fan coming out in, that, <laughs> in, that, in the last, you know, like 30 seconds, 60 seconds that happened. A lot of Chelsea, like uh, a lot of our managers are good guys. Come on, it's not, Eric Tanag is nothing great. That's, I think, what swag was coming from, but okay, good enough. Yeah, I think, uh, like, social media is not the right barometer anyway to measure fans. Like, you saw, you saw what happened to Harry Maguire. In, uh, you know, in Perth, yeah. all these, uh, you know, supposed social media fans, 366 days of a year, like they get there one day in the sun and they start booing him. So, I don't know if social media is the right parameter as well. Uh, totally agree. A year back when uh, Maguire got injured and could not play in the Europa League final, yeah, it was considered that, oh, it was such a big loss for United. So, people are fickle-minded. Uh, but I do agree with Swagat's point uh, that there is too much of information of about United training sessions in both United's social media as well as some of the media's uh, handles. That's probably because new, any news about United sells and probably these guys need to make a living. So, yeah, random clickbaity things will keep coming. That, that's something that you, you have to live with. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I mean, the clickbaity thing, how much of it is coming from the outside and how much of it is driven by United is something that we, we can debate. But from the whole summer that's gone on, I, I really think that United have had a really, really bad summer. It's it's not just from the Frankie de Jong situation. It's also the other situations. The fact that United were linked with a striker like Darwin Nunes before the comments that Ronaldo made went viral. I feel like there was a lack of communication that was happening and Ronaldo has really held the club to dry. Um, if Ronaldo had established that he was going to leave, then they may have targeted a striker. Now they're linked with new strikers who could have been maybe signed three like 30 days ago. But 
I feel like the club is in a really bad position. Frankie De Jong is one of them. Ronaldo's situation is a really, really poor uh, reflection on the planning and the stability of the club. I think Ten Hag is in a no-win situation right now. If if he's if he continues and deals with the whole Ronaldo situation, then good for him. But this has been com- a complete shit show, if I should say so. And if anything that comes out of this for Ten Hag is a bonus in my opinion. Yeah, I just yeah we talk a lot about Ten Hag and his mode of play and all of that. But I just go back to that original point: if they don't get a number six, does all of this even matter? Right now, Matic is left. There's of course Fred McTominay still there. They've been trying for De Jong, but if they can't, or even if they can, if they don't have a traditional number six, does any of this even matter? Okay, so immortalizing the words of Lincoln Park, we go to Ashwin. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about getting a number six since 2016, right? Like, when are we going to get one? Uh, was Frankie de Jong the only target that we had in mind? The only uh, the only holding midfielder that we had identified? When it, when, when it was known that we would probably not get Frankie de Jong or Barcelona with, you know, playing us around... Why did we not go for any other alternatives? Do we even have alternatives? Uh, is Ruben Neves an alternative? Like all of these seem to be coming up from the social media, but none of this seems to be actual, be coming from actual credible sources. So United are to, you know, United are to blame for themselves in the situation that they what have got I themselves hear into. And read is that uh, for for uh, Eric Ten Hag, uh, Frankie De Jong is. His number one choice for him and his coaching staff. They rate him very highly and they already have dossiers prepared. It seems to indicate that the player wants to join and whatever drama that we are currently seeing is to ensure that the payment due uh, is received. And if that doesn't happen, what, what uh, Eric Tanag has said. But then, but then I challenge that because I challenge that totally because uh, when, when Frankie de Jong was playing the Sergio Busquets position, in Barcelona, he wasn't good at all. Like he was moved forward, and and that 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 just goes to show that he is not a proper number six that we are looking at, right? So I don't know. I don't know the thinking about uh, that. Is, we can put it there because he played the similar role or whatever role or what is the role that uh, uh, Eric Ten Hag wants him to play? That that only the manager knows. He has played with him in a similar position in Ajax, and that seemed to do really well. Like, uh, I think uh, with respect to Frankie De Jong, I am with Ashwin here uh, because in his uh, previous avatar with Eric Ten Hag, uh, Frankie De Jong on the ball was uh, like a number six, but defensively he always had it uh, like a proper defensive shield next to him, right? Uh, whether it was Lashe Shone in the in the first instance, so he had that defensive midfielder next to him, and and the second thing, uh, the point that I want to make is with respect to the transfer window this season. When we uh, at the start of the window, the the three or four positions that we thought are the most fundamental for us is the central defensive midfield, the right back, the striker, and maybe right wing. Right? Which of those positions are filled right now? We have got Malasia, very good player, but he's competing with Shaw. We have got Eriksen, very good player, he's competing with Bruno. We have uh, you know got Martinez, who probably will get into a starting role, but we don't know how he is. Right? And so. Uh, from that point of view, I don't think whatever we wanted to fulfill this window, United have done. Yeah, so, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why RK is called the rant yeah. god or the rant 
fan of this group. It's it's a, it's a little bit of the little, a little starting point to why RK is the rat fan of the group. But I completely agree with RK on this. Um, all the all the transfers and stuff that's happened with United, in my opinion, from from the outside view, has been a disaster. If Frankie De Jong is the guy, and I think United by now should have known whether it's going to happen or not going to happen, and then either decide that they're not signing someone and move on and wait for January or whatever the hell that is, or the Ronaldo situation is just a complete shit show. I think a lot of a lot of stuff could have happened better in this entire transfer scenario for United. I think this has really, really hamstrung Eric Ten Hag in his first season. There's a sideshow of things that people are talking about and nobody's going to be focusing on a new manager bringing in a system, which is honestly, in my opinion, the first time that it's going to happen since probably Fergie. So there's a lot of sideshow that's happening right now and it's not going to help Ten Hag at all. Yeah, so that's the Liverpool fan coming out finally. Well, uh, I was yeah, he's really nice about this, but I'm celebrating internally. But I was trying to be very <laughs> diplomatic about all. <laughs> what 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 you what you can't see in the podcast is that smirk, right? Um. Anyway, so let's see. I mean, uh, on opening day, they might just thrash their opposition 15-0 and uh, everything might be fine. Uh, talking about uh, opening days, uh, anyone has any fond memories of uh, opening day games? Yeah, so. Remember the back in 2006, uh, post the World Cup, the whole Rooney uh, versus Ronaldo incidentally again. Ronaldo fiasco, he wants to move away. Uh, then people had to be sent. Fergie and his staff had to go and speak to him. Uh, United hardly signed anyone except Michael Carrick. And all the pundits were saying United will finish fifth, maybe even sixth. And on the first day of the season, they scored four <laughs> goals in the first 20 minutes and I remember the commentator saying uh, Rooney Ronaldo are suddenly friends again and we won the league after a three-year gap. So, after all the uh, wonderful chat my friend Anirudha has just given, uh, I still have hope uh, United do well when there is hardly any expectation. So, probably, probably good sign of things to come. If, I mean, if I'm, if I'm to think of the best first day ever for me, it has to be 2000, I don't know, it was 15 or 16, but Sadio Mane, I think it was 16, yeah. It was, uh, uh, I think, Klopp's first full season. Sadio Mane signing from Southampton, 30 plus million. At that point, this was the pre-Neymar situation where 30 plus million was a huge deal in the Premier League. We were, I think, mocked by the entire league, particularly Everton, who signed Bolasi that same season for a similar kind of fee. And we were mocked by Everton for the fact that we signed Sadio Mane. Who is this guy? He's from Southampton. What is he? What what can he do? The first game that he ever played for Liverpool, he ran down the right. He cut in on the left. It was against Arsenal. Smacked the a left-footed shot past the goalkeeper. Then ran back down the line. Climbed on Klopp's shoulders and they celebrated down the... It was one of the best... Premier League moments that I've had as a fan. Um, it was, and that was before we knew what money was going to be. It's, I think, poetic right now because he's left. He's been a legend at the club. I mean, it, I think back reminiscent of the times that money brought us. Already missing him? <laughs> 
Okay, interesting thoughts. Uh, let's see how this season's opening day goes. Uh, uh, Deepak, uh, remind us again what the quiz question was at the start of the episode. So the question was name all the players who have won the Premier League Golden Boot in their first Premier League season. Uh, so one, of course, is the would be the player who won it in the inaugural season of the Premier League. Other than that, there are two more. Along with that, I would say two honourable mentions because they did not play a lot of games in the in the uh, in the se- season prior to their uh, in their first season. So you can probably take that also. As for who was the Golden Boot winner in the first season? Teddy Sheringham. Correct. Uh, so up gets that one right. Teddy Sheringham was the Golden Boot winner for with Spurs in 92-93. That was the first season. That is the first season. What about uh, Andre? Andre joined in. So, he was not the Golden Boot winner at that time. Uh, how about uh, Oba? Uh, he, he joined midway through the season, but he has a Golden Boot. I don't remember if it was next season or the season after. Yeah, so he is an honourable mention. He joined midway and he won the Golden Boot. So, that is something. Uh, he won the Golden Boot in the next, in season, the next right? season. I think he Correct. shared it with Mani and Salah. Right? Correct. Yeah. And there is somebody in the late uh, 90s. Uh, he played... Two games in 96-97 and then won the Golden Boot the year later. Are we talking about Andy Cole? Uh, Andy Cole uh, qualifies. Andy Cole uh, won the Golden Boot in 93-94 with Newcastle. Uh, So, that is the second. So, we have Andy Cole. So, we have the honourable mentions gone. So, the honourable mentions are... Sorry, uh, let me correct that. Okay. Uh, Andy Cole is one of the right, uh, correct answers cool. along with Teddy Sheringham. Okay. We have one more in that bucket left. Okay. Honorable mentions, Obamang, yes. There is one more from 97-98. The fact that DSK is doing these questions and the correct answers are Andy Cole and Sheringham, I'm just going to guess rude Van <laughs> uh, Good guess, but in Van Nistelrooy's first season... Uh, it was Thierry Henry who was the goal. I'm not even, I'm not even, I don't even care anymore. I just saw the <laughs> trend that you guys were setting and it was clearly a Manchester United trend. Yes, and uh, coming back to the answers now. So, the 97-98 season is uh, a certain Michael Owen from Liverpool. Damn! Sad, did not get it and was blaming me. Uh, the last one on the list uh, is, is from the 99-2000 season. Uh, and this is the last English player to have won the European Golden Boot, both in the same season. I'll give up the answer. It's no, no, no. Give, give us a clue. Give us a clue. He got his team promoted in German. And this was for wonderful club of Sunderland. Sunderland? Oh, uh, Kevin Phillips. There you go, Swag. Kevin Phillips got a Golden Boot of Europe. Wouldn't have gotten that without the clues. Wouldn't have gotten that without the clues. 31 goals in the Premier League. Kevin Phillips. I would not have gotten that even with the clues. Okay, so Kevin Phillips. Uh, give, give us the full list again, one final time. So, 92-93, uh, Teddy Sheringham with Spurs. 93-94, Andy Cole with Newcastle. Uh, and 99-2000, Kevin Phillips. Two honourable mentions, uh, Mike Lowen, 97-98. He played just a couple of games in, his, in the previous season. And then uh, Aubameyang, uh, when he came... Two Arsenal played just half of the season and won the Golden Boot the season later. So, so basically, if we're looking at this right, there are three people who played for Manchester United in the answers. Like, now we know the themes of DSK's question. 
Okay, so that brings us to the close of uh, this episode. Thank you if you're still listening and uh, have been playing along on the quiz with us. Uh, we'll be prepared next time for the theme and uh, think of Manchester United uh, strikers who've uh, done well elsewhere. And uh, in the meantime, we'll probably, uh, the next time we meet you, we would already have a winner of the Women's Euro between England and Germany. So let's see how that goes. Uh, to all of the listeners, uh, see you next week. 